I still remember where we were standing the day we came up with this. I'm grabbing the stool. Me and Nick, we were standing in that back corner. We were over by the window, and the two of us were talking about getting the church family back together after being apart for so long. I think we were near the end of, of the prayer gatherings, maybe in the end of September, could have been early October, and we said, when we get the church back together, what do we want to talk about? Like, if there was, if there's one thing we could talk about, what we want to get to, what would be the point? And that's when we landed on this series, uh, the church after COVID, getting back to the basics, getting back to the root. And the two goofy pastors in the back of the room were talking about what would these sermons look like? How many would there be? Well, we talked about if you're going to get back to the basics of what we are after COVID has stripped everything away, took away youth group, and it took away quilting, and it took away the men's and women's ministries, and it took away, took away the worship services. You were sitting at home watching on your cell phones. Like, it was all gone. What did we have? We had our Bibles. We had the chance to pray. You could listen to us teach from here. It was stripped back to its very core. So we said to be the church, you need to be a follower of Jesus. Number one, choose to follow Jesus, right? Be forgiven of your sin, give your life to him. Two, you pursue his word. You pursue a relationship with him built around the truth that he spoke to us. So we preached on the word. Last week, uh, Nick was preaching about what's the point, what's the mission, what's the goal of being a disciple, and what is it? It's to make more followers of Jesus. It's to take the truth that we've been given and then pass that truth on to others. That's why we're here. Not to sit here and read our Bibles, which is meat, and just feast and feast and feast, and if we all become such fat Christians, we don't fit out the door anymore. It's not the point. The point was to go. To go and to share the treasure that we've been given. Right? And fourth... I don't know which one of us came up with the fourth one. Was the attitude of the disciple? Was the sacrifice? Because to choose to follow Jesus, to choose to carry out his mission, and choose to read your Bible, sounds a lot like a Pharisee. But what's the difference between us and them? Change of our heart. The attitude and the condition of a disciple. And somehow I got that sermon. Why did I get like reading the Bible or something like that? Just stand up here and just be like, you all agree, right? Let's read. I get the sermon where it's like, well, you should give up everything you love and die to yourself. That's mine. Yeah, that's not fair. You can laugh. It's funny. I was reading... Uh, Chad had mentioned uh, David Platt's book this week when me and Ryan were visiting at your house. This is a little uh, piece of his very first chapter of his book, Radical. Pastor David says this. It's called Puddle of Tears. Imagine all the blinds closed on the windows of a dimly lit room. Twenty leaders from different churches in the area sat in a circle on the floor with their Bibles open. Some of them had sweat on their foreheads after walking for miles to get there. 
Others were dirty from the dust in the villages from which they had set out on bikes early that morning. They'd gathered in secret. They had intentionally come to this place at different times throughout the morning so as not to draw attention to the meeting that was occurring. They lived in a country in Asia where it's illegal for them to gather like this. If they were caught, they could lose their land, their jobs, their families. They could lose their lives. I listened as they began to share stories of what God was doing in their churches. There was one man, he sat in the corner. He had a strong frame. He served as the head of security, so to speak. Makes me think of Andrew. Whenever a knock was heard at the door or a noise was made outside the window, everyone in the room would freeze in tension as his brother would go outside to make sure everything was okay. As he spoke, his tough appearance soon revealed a tender heart. He said, some of the people in my church have been pulled away by a cult. This particular cult is known for kidnapping believers, taking them to isolated locations, torturing them. Brothers and sisters, having their tongues cut out of their mouths is not uncommon for them. As he shared about the dangers in his church that many people were facing, tears welled up his eyes and he said, I am hurting. I need God's grace to lead my church through these attacks. A woman on the other side of the room, she spoke up next. She said, some of the members in my church were recently confronted by government officials. They threatened their families, saying that if they did not stop gathering to study the Bible, they were going to lose everything that they had. She asked for prayer, saying, I need to know how to lead my church, to follow Christ even when it costs them everything. As I looked around the room, I saw that everyone was now in tears. The struggles expressed by this brother and sister, they were not isolated. They all looked at one another and said, we need to pray. Immediately, they went to their knees and with their faces on the ground, they began to cry out to God. Their prayers were marked less by grandiose theological language and more by heartfelt praise and pleading. Oh God, thank you for loving us, one said. Oh God, we need you. Jesus, we give our lives to you and for you. Jesus, we trust in you. They audibly wept before God as one leader after another prayed. And after about an hour, the room drew to silence. They rose up from the floor. Humbled by what I'd just been a part of, I saw puddles of tears in a circle around the room. In the days since then, God's granted me many other opportunities to gather with believers in underground house churches in Asia, men and women that are risking everything to follow Christ. Men like one, an Asian doctor who left his successful health practice and now risks his life and the lives of his wife and two kids in order to provide impoverished villages with medical care while secretly training an entire network of house church leaders. Women like Lynn, who teaches on a university campus where it's illegal to spread the gospel. She meets in secret with college students to talk about the claims of Christ, though she could lose her livelihood for doing so. 
teenagers like Shan and Ling, who've been sent out from house churches in their villages to undergo intensive study and preparation for taking the gospel to parts of Asia where there are no churches. Ling said to me, listen to this, Ling said to me, I have told my family that I'll likely never come back home. I am going to hard places to make the gospel known. And it is possible I will lose my life in the process. She added, But our families, they understand. Our moms, our dads, they've been in prison for their faith. They've taught us that Jesus is worthy of all our devotion. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, and as we read these words that you shared so long ago, Lord, would you impress them upon our heart? And Lord, would you soften our heart through the Holy Spirit to know how does this word apply to us? And Father, we pray, Lord, right now we pray against the footholds that Satan has in our lives, those little areas, Lord, where we are getting in the way, those little areas, Lord, that we are not willing to get up, those areas in my life that I am not willing to... Lord Jesus, this morning, I lay my heart bare before you and before this family. Lord, we invite you in. May we hear, Lord, your word clearly. May you show us what it means to live it out. Protect us, Lord, from Satan as he would desire to misuse your words. Lord, and lead us into places of selfishness. Show us the heart of a disciple. Amen. Amen. Bible's open. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be in Philippians, Matthew, John, Luke, and Luke. I hope that's okay. Why? Because I'm going to try to talk very little and read these words a lot. Paul, in chains, in jail, writing to the church in Philippi, a church that's being persecuted. He helped plant this church as a missionary, and they're under attack. He, locked away in jail, says to them in Philippians chapter 2, Let's start at verse 3. Read along if you have your Bible with you. He says to the church, Church, do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. 
he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is Paul in chains, in jail, saying to his church, this is the attitude of a disciple. This is the heart of who they are. They consider themselves nothing. They put everyone ahead of themselves. They're going to love God and they're going to love others the way that Jesus did. I love this. When Jesus comes down from heaven, he leaves the throne room of being the king and he takes the position of a servant. Right? He has existed forever, made all things And now he chooses to leave that glory, leave that position, that posture, that reward, and come down to the dirt that he made, to live with the dirt, to be made of dirt, to love the dirt. He joins them in the mess. The ultimate humility. The king steps off his throne and becomes a servant in the castle. He lives with the servants, works with the servants, eats with the servants. A king would never do that. And it says that after he joins them, after he humbles himself, letting go of being God, letting go of that equality, not only is he found in the likeness of a man, but he comes obedient to death. This is mind-bending. So not only has the king left his position and joined the servants, joined them in their work, in their livelihood, But now, as we know from the Gospels, the servants are going to reject him. The dirt that he created, that he came down to join and love, the servants are going to hate him, turn away from him, mock him, beat him and kill him and murder him. And what does Jesus do? He willingly takes upon that death. He willingly bears that cross. He makes that sacrifice. The king has joined the servants The servants reject him, and he jumps in front of the bullet for them anyway. He humbles himself and humbles himself and humbles himself. Lower and lower and lower. Paul says to them, Church, this is the attitude of a disciple. This is Paul, the high esteemed Pharisee, gave up everything to plant the church, and then in planting the church, gave up everything and is in jail. Give it up. Give it up. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In youth group the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, takes the law that the people have followed for thousands of years, and he turns it upside down. You thought the rule was don't murder. Don't hate people. That's the rule now. You thought the murder was don't commit adultery. Don't imagine being unfaithful to your wife, your husband. You thought the murder, you thought the law was to be generous. You thought it was to give. You thought it was to pray. You thought it was to fast. It's about the heart when you give. It's about your heart when you fast. You thought the rule was an eye for an eye. If someone pokes you in the eye, you get to poke them back in the eye. How sweet would that be? (laughs) 
He says, the next time someone comes after you, be willing to give up your coat and walk an extra mile with them. We're going to flip this whole thing upside down. Why? Because it's about the heart of a disciple. It's about the heart. It's no longer about the action. Now it's about the heart. If we come out of COVID, if we come out of this year and our hearts aren't in the right place, it's not going to matter how much of this book you commit to reading. It's not going to matter how many services you commit to watching on the website. It's got to change the very core of who you are. Jesus goes even further. This is Luke. Turn in your Bibles. This is Luke 9. And I'm going to start at verse 18. He says, Once Jesus was praying in private. That's Luke 9, 18. And disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied back, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet of long ago. Verse 20. He says, Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Messiah, that's the Christ, the King, the Christ of God. Verse 21, Jesus warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders, rejected by the priests, rejected by the teachers. He must be killed, and on the third day, be raised to life. Like, that's the humility that Jesus is entering into. Verse 23, though. Oh, my goodness. Then he said to them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily. He must follow me. For everyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but those who lose their lives for me, they'll save it. They must take up their cross. Oh, man. We're guilty of this. We're guilty of this. That we watch Jesus give up everything, and we're willing to join in to receive that gift. But the second he calls us to give up something, what do we do? We get defensive. Because we don't want to give up for him. He tells us that the cross is supposed to be something we carry daily. What did we do with the cross? (laughs) We turned it into a church decoration. It's not a personal attack, Lee. It's not a personal attack. (laughs) He says to pick it up every single day and deny yourself. And we're like, that's fantastic. Let's put flowers in front of it. Why? Because it's prettier up here than us having to carry it. This is much better. It's much better. You look at it and you think, thank you, Jesus, for all that hard work that you had to do so that I would never have to give up anything. 
Let's sing. I'm like, no, he says, you have to pick it up. You have to take yourself, you have to deny yourself, and every single day, pick it up. But it's heavy. And you have to carry it every single day. But it's going to get in the way. I can't do the things I want to do because my hands are full now. He doesn't care. He says, pick it up and carry it. But I liked it better over there. It was easier when it was just a decoration behind the silk flowers. But this is getting heavy. And he says to carry it. I caught a microphone. There you go. We have a choice to make. These pastors in Asia give up their lives to see the gospel move. Do you know what they probably don't complain about? The color of the pews. You know what they probably don't complain about? (laughs) The carpet. Or the paint color. Do you know what they probably don't complain about? How many women are going to be at women's ministry? Do you know what they probably don't complain about? If they read the Bible enough in youth group, like, do you know what they probably don't complain about? Whether there's enough rentals going on in the gym, like, do you know what they don't complain about? Because they're willing to die. And I'm not. And that's convicting. This is Luke 14. Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to the crowds and he said, If anyone would come to me and does not hate his father, hate his mother, his wife, children, brother, sister, even his very own life, then he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to complete it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he's able 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he'll ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. If you have ears, hear. Do you know who has ears? Everyone, so hear. Well, Darren, that's a little extreme. Like, Jesus doesn't really want us to give up everything. He wants us to be happy. Nope. He wants you to die. And gain everything. You remember John chapter 6? It's the bread of life. 
Jesus has this huge crowd of thousands in front of him. And he says, I am the bread of life. You eat from me, you live forever. I have life inside of me that you don't have. So just take my flesh and eat it. Take my blood and drink it. That's the key. Do you know what John 666 says? Many disciples quit after that message and walked away. <laughs> That's what it says. He looks at his disciples and says, Are you gonna quit too? Is it too hard? And the disciples say, Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of life. We're not going anywhere. Jesus was not concerned with building a following of thousands of people. He was concerned with getting the truth to a few. You know, we could build this church to reach thousands of people. We could. We could spend the money to please people, build ministries that please people, uh, create the Sunday morning service that makes all the Christian people super happy and just like lures them in. It's going to bless you. It's going to bless your kids. It's going to bless your grandkids. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to love it. You're not going to have to give anything, sacrifice anything. You can live in your sin. That's the best part. And like thousands of people would be like, yes, please, sign me up. I don't have to make any sacrifices at all. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, give up every single thing you have or go home. Why don't pastors preach like that, though? Because we have mortgages to pay, and the thought of being unemployed is terrifying. That's why we don't stand up here and say, you need to come forward, and you need to die and give up everything. That's why pastors often don't preach on money. Why? It makes us nervous because people don't like giving up money. So you don't preach about it. And yet, Jesus talked about being generous a lot. And the church in the book of Acts was marked by generosity. You've read that in Acts chapter 2 and in chapter 4? Every single time there was a need in the church, someone would go and sell a field. They would bring all the money and they would just lay it before the church. Anyone who has a need can have some. Anyone who has a need, go ahead and share it. And it says that none of them in the church ever went without. Because that was their posture. It didn't belong to them anymore. It belonged to God. It all did. Peter, James, John, Matthew... They didn't learn from Jesus for three years. Jesus didn't explain the mission to them and then call them to give up everything and follow him. It started with that. He walks up to these guys and he says, drop your nets, drop the fishing nets, and what do you say? Follow me, let's go. Follow me, let's go. But dad's, we can't just leave dad. He's in the middle of fishing. Like, he's heading out in 10 minutes. We can't go. Like, we have to go. Levi, that's Matthew, right, at the tax collector's booth. He walks up to the booth and says, follow me, let's go. He walks away from his career. These guys will follow Jesus for years and then start this church. And then they will leave the country and go throughout the cities. They'll go throughout the rest of Asia. And they're going to plant these churches and then later go to jail and then later die for their faith. Mercy. I'm not ready to do that. Are you? 
the attitude of a disciple. The attitude of a disciple. Two weeks ago, we spoke about uh, this passage. This is Matthew in youth group. It's the passage of two masters. You can't have both. Let me read these verses and I'll tell you what one of the young ladies at youth group said to me. You can just listen if you want or turn to Matthew 6. But he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be. There your heart will be. No one can serve two masters. Either they'll hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. This last week I was watching a sermon by uh, Mark Clark on greed, on the sin of greed. He said, do you want to see what somebody worships, what they treasure and what they value? He said, take a look at their visa statement. I'll show you. It's easy. If you want to know what you worship in your life, take a look. It'll show you. I'm like, interesting, okay. He said, treasure is not evil. Treasure, though, reveals the path of your heart. Because where you invest it, where it leads, that's where your heart's at. If your heart is on building your business... All your extra money gets poured into the business. If your heart's on your family, all your extra money gets poured into family. If you quilt as a hobby, all your extra money gets poured into fine fabric. It just does. It always does. It always does. (laughs) Mercy fabric's expensive. It's ridiculous. Oh, that's funny. You can't serve both. This young lady said to me, I think I know what God's talking about in this passage. I think God's talking about cheating on him. It's like a relationship. It's like you're in a relationship with someone, and by serving two masters, you cheat on them with someone else. I thought, that's an interesting way of putting it. You're married to God, you're in this union together with God, this active relationship. And for six days a week, you're very faithful to him. Very faithful. One day a week, though, you go worship yourself. It's not a big deal. You deal with most of your sin. Not all of it, though. There's a couple that you hold on to. You're willing to sacrifice everything except for that one part of your life. It's important. It's valuable. You hold on to it. God doesn't get that part. Would my wife be happy? If for six days a week I was faithful to her, and one day a week I had a girlfriend on the side. But six days a week, though, I'm faithful to you. Six days. That's the majority of it. Like, that's not that bad. Six days. Like, just just one day a week. One day a week. (laughs) What would your response be? Do you imagine if I brought that up in marriage counseling with Cole and Rebecca? Six days a week, you have to love each other and honor your promise. One day a week, though? It doesn't matter. 
And yet as a Christian, I'm willing to give up most of my sin. I'm willing to give up most of myself. But part of me doesn't want to die. Am I okay with that? I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what piece of treasure, I don't know what it is that you're holding on to and saying, if God is calling me to give up everything, this is not going to go. I'm willing to see the gospel go forth, except don't touch this thing that's mine. Like in my life, it's my time. That's my love language. It's my time. So I'm greedy with it, sometimes in a sinful way. I'm not willing to give that up very easily. I don't know what yours is. Like we save up thousands of dollars to go on holidays around the world with our family because making memories is important. And there's families in the church who are struggling. But Darren, it's important. Sure it is. Is doing something nice evil? Is it wrong? Is it sinful? No. When it gets in the way of loving God and loving others, it is. You're going to renovate the house. That's fantastic. But your next door neighbor can't afford groceries. They're struggling. Your marriage is doing well, and one of your best friends, it's not. Do you choose not to say anything? That would just be rude. Maybe you could, I don't know. It's just these little things. These little things we're not willing to give up. What are you not willing to give up? Generosity is a huge one, like with money. I don't know if you struggle with that. Some people do. They're willing to give God a little bit, but give until it hurts, like sacrificially, not a chance. I don't know what it is you're holding on to. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says that God is calling us to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. That's what worship looks like. A living sacrifice. What's the purpose of a sacrifice? It's to? It's to die. The purpose. The sacrifice doesn't serve any other purpose but to die. If the animal doesn't give up its life, guess what? You don't get your life back. It doesn't work. And Paul says, guess what, church? That's you now. Every single day, you wake up, you are the sacrifice, you are the lamb. Are you willing to die? Because that's what worship looks like. That's what worship looks like. So we get to choose what kind of a church we want to be. Do we want to be the kind of church that creates ministries, hires staff, builds budgets, makes decisions that make us happy, that bless us, make us comfortable. I have kids. I want to see a kids club. I have, I quilt. I want to see a quilters. I have kids who are teenagers. I want to see a big youth group. I like comfortable seats. We should spend money on those. I like feel-good sermons, so Nick should preach like self-help and like you are good enough. You should just preach those. It'd make me feel good, you know? I like loud music. Turn it way up. Or I like quiet music. Turn it way down. Like, I don't know what your thing is. 
But you're saying it'd be great if the church would just go in that direction. That'd be fantastic. I want that. Or we take our church, we take our wants and our, our desires, our ambitions, our dreams, and we nail it up. We deny ourselves every morning. This year, this is what I'm going to give up to see the gospel go forward. This year, this is what I'm going to give up. As a church, we're going to give up this. As a church, we're going to create this ministry that blesses people that aren't us. This year, we're going to make financial decisions that bless people that aren't us. This year, we're going to volunteer to bless people who aren't us. This year, what are we willing to do? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Each of us, it's something. But if you're not willing to die, you're not in. So decide. Are you willing to give up everything? Everything. Doesn't matter if you're 5, 95. Doesn't matter if you're in the youth group or a parent of the youth group. <laughs> Doesn't matter if your favorite hobby is playing in the toy room. I don't know, working in the workshop. It applies to all of us. What are we willing to give up? Would I give up my wife? Would I give up my kids? Would I give up my home? Would I be willing to die to see the gospel go forward? What would you give up?